Um, Tim, I have to tell you something. What is it? Do you know what's going to happen on Friday? On Friday? Um, I'm going, going to, to snow. go into my holidays. Oh, is it going to snow? It's going to snow. Yeah. Nice. So Very nice. It's starting to look a lot like Christmas. Yeah. Oh, that's actually my se- no. That's not my second uh, favorite um, Christmas song. But one of my other favorite Christmas songs is. Or shall I wait until the next episode? Let's wait until the next episode. Yeah. Let's let's make a cliffhanger here, and uh, let people wonder what my second favorite Christmas song is. Um. Anyways, today's episode is about again. Today's no. I would start like this. Today's episode is with a close friend of ours. Yeah, it's a close friend. I will call, I will call Roman a friend. Um, <laughs> actually, all of them, we have quite a very close relationship with them, especially also with Bitcoin, which we're very happy about because um, this is, um, oh, it's important for us because these people, um, people like Roman, they, they are the heart, beating heart of the industry. And um it's it's really great what they do and the amount of effort they put into it. And uh, I just love your tip. What I really love how geeky everybody is that's coming on the podcast. A couple <laughs> of last episodes, yeah. The couple of last episodes were really, really, really geeky. Um, yeah, like I think I'm geeky with my with my turbo trader and free TV. Mate, I'm I'm nothing. I'm like you're nothing. <laughs> um, you're nothing, but it's um, it's it's a good example to 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 show um, that the geeks run the world, isn't it? Nowadays, yeah. In some in some aspects aspects. So um, yeah. Anyways, um, today's episode is again about sustainability in data centers, but uh, n- not so much about um, the problems, but about the solutions. Um, we're going to talk about the heat waste reuse, what those challenges are. We're going to um, actually uh, also for the first time we have a physicist on the podcast. So Roman is a phys- physicist, um, meaning that he knows about material science. He knows about energy um, and, 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 and how it is actually only transformed and never lost. And so I guess this mindset um, kind of put him where he is today and and um, what else made him become the head of infrastructure at Bitcom he will tell you in a bit in this very podcast have fun cheers So, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you're in the world. Welcome back to another episode of the Uptown Punks. Um, today, we have a very special guest with us. Um, I, I would say a good friend of ours already, after all the years, um, Roman Bunsen from Bitcom. Hi, Roman. How are you? Hi. Hi. Uh, good. How, how are you? Uh, well, I'm I'm fine. Um, so, for everybody out there to know, Bitcom is, um, I would say, Bitcom is the, the, the seal, the, the certification level that you would need to get or the um, approval ranking you would need to get if you want to do some, some sort of IT or data business in Germany. Um, you guys lead with a lot of um, work groups and uh, Roman is the one that leads the work group, which has everything to do with data centers. So, um, and as we are a data center podcast as well, we thought, yeah, it's about time we bring Roman on board and uh, see not just what's his favorite Christmas song, 
but also um, what's his favorite data center and uh, everything that has anything to do with data centers. Um, but yeah, so Roman, um, we always have the same questions for everybody. So we're going to get you started with the same ones as well. Do you remember your first mobile phone? My first mobile phone. Um, I do indeed remember that. Um, it was an, uh, an iPhone 4, which I got uh, at a very cheap discount price from a colleague uh, used. And um, he gave that to me. And uh, I I think um, it was a good start into, into how to use um, smartphones. Um, but um, I... I quickly I quickly realized that uh, that iPhones are not for me. I, I I'm someone who who really enjoys uh, tweaking things for his own uh, according to his own needs, and uh, that's basically the opposite of what Apple stands for. I mean, I I admire what they do uh, with a lot of the technology, but it's really not for me. So I quickly changed to an Android-based phone later, and then uh, eventually uh, now for years I'm always having lineage on my phones. So uh, I. Uh, I, I I really love to to set things according to the way I like it. Um, so you probably program your own stuff on your phone, then, is it that or? Well, uh, programming is maybe a bit too much, but uh, it's I, I I totally understand that for most people uh, it's maybe a bit too much to to uh, regularly see uh, some some console uh, on on their smartphone. But uh, in general, yeah, I I just uh, like to to. To be able to see the data structure, uh, for example, on a on a on a computer, and a smartphone is a computer. I hate if it if this is hidden from the user. I, I want to see every part of the data structure. Mm. And oh, I thought wow. I was fancy uh, going in the developer mode and changing my my surface all to. You use the developer mode on your phone. Sometimes because I oh, want... maybe that's why you never answer your WhatsApp calls. Now we have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perhaps. No, I just put everything in grayscale to see what effect it has on my um, smartphone usage. It doesn't really have one. Um, full disclosure, but like, yeah, Roman's oh, a step ahead. Um, so, Roman, so um, when was your first contact with computers? Before the iPhone four or? Um... When was the first time you really like your first engagement with a computer, any sort of like smart, let's call it a smart device? Yeah, that, that, that's actually a nice story uh, because um, my my first computer, my very first one was a um, second or probably third hand uh, Commodore C64, which I got from my uncle when I was like seven years old or eight years old. Um, it still had a, instead of, of um, Instead of discs, it had those uh, tapes, which you had to load for like 20 minutes in a, in a little tape device. And, uh, and, and, and the colors were flickering on the screen. Um, so I, I was mostly just playing some games on that. But like uh, two years, three years later, um, my parents bought the first, uh, their first personal computer. It was a 486 uh, with uh, 80 megahertz and a 512 megabyte hard disk. And um, they had no idea whatsoever how to use a computer. So they, they placed a little Roman there in front of it and said, here, it's yours. Uh, find out how to use it and then teach us. And um, that, uh, that took some time, but worked out very well, I would say. Maybe too well, because I still have to manage everything regarding computers for my parents. 
Uh, it's, it's quite similar here. I mean, um, I remember the first computer we got, I was setting up the modem with my father. That took about six or seven hours because back then you had to like the old dial-in ones and all of these things. And uh, But yeah, wow. Okay, and is that what got you done into tech? Is that why you were like, well, I want to be, that's what I want to do. I want to um, get into technology or is it just, uh, it's, it's not really what you studied, is it? No, it's 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 actually well d depends on your viewpoint. But I I didn't study uh, anything directly in IT. Um, I studied physics, um, but uh, yeah, I I mean I I have always been interested in technology and computers, and um, I think that's the case for many people in natural science subjects in general. So I, I studied physics in university. I uh, did a PhD eventually in. Um, in this field too, and then I uh, worked for a few years more in a in some uh, research center on what well, to, to 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 cut it short. Let's say on uh, solar cell material research, and um, then I, um, I I felt more and more like I want to do something completely different, which uh, eventually brought me into uh, this uh, tech field and into Bitcoin. So, yeah. so, you, so you thought this, uh, helping with small computers is, is not enough. I need to help with data centers. Let's upscale it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned briefly that the, the research on the solar uh, cell panels, is, is that where your passion comes from for uh, green IT and um, using renewable energy a little bit? Is that the background behind it? Because I know you're quite a, um, you're quite a pioneer about it and you really stand behind that um, trying to avoid as much as possible the carbon footprint. Um, is that one of the reasons? No, I think that started much earlier. I've always been interested in environmental topics and uh, have been advocating uh, these things. I have been um, myself, I mean, privately engaged in a lot of those uh, campaigns. I was in the, I was at the uh, Copenhagen um, uh, uh, climate uh, conference in 2000, when was that, 2008, 2009. Uh, like the biggest disappointment back then for the for the climate movement, I would say, um, and that those things uh, kind of shaped my my thinking here and also uh, the choices I, I made later. Uh, so of course, uh, one of the one of the reasons why I chose the the field um, for my uh, for my PhD thesis, for example, was uh, this this interest in in doing uh, in in producing progress for, for mankind in this field in, in green technologies and uh, in, in what I'm doing now. Um, I, I actually didn't think so much about it before, but it turns out that there's actually a lot of uh, parts of my, my um, activities now in Bitcom where I can make quite a difference uh, regarding uh, the environment, regarding climate change, regarding green technologies. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah, it's 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 quite a topic. We in the last couple of weeks we came across quite a lot, and um, yeah, we were taking it also uh, forward into twenty one and trying to find a way with the uptime punks to bring some change out there. But um, some more stuff will come sooner or later. But um, because it's also something we're passionately standing behind, and I think there's some. Um, we had Susanna Cross. Um, she was a guest, and. Um, she also mentioned a few things um, like yourself and we were talking a little bit up also about the uh, big american hyperscalers 
Mm -hmm. And during the current uh, administration, basically, they were not capable of doing anything. But now um, the new administration which is coming into office in January, basically, is already looking into these things. So there's going to be a lot of change coming over there. Um, yeah, which comes back to a later point um, where the Americans see the Germans as the pioneers in the green tech industry and leading. But um, that's that's something um, we'll get to in a bit. Um, doing... During lockdown, which you had yourself as well, and I think you're working for quite some time from home, everybody has somehow discovered um, a COVID lockdown gadget. Um, for me, it's the smart bulbs. Um, for Timothy, I don't know what it is for Tim, really, but... Um, You'll find out in a later episode. We'll find out in a later episode. It's definitely the microphone, and now he wants some sound-blocking wall around it. But uh, maybe that's something for Christmas. You can you can write a letter to Santa, Tim. Um, for Roman, for you, what would you say is um, one of these? What 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 what's the gadget for you? If you look back in ten years, you would say this is what I got during lockdown, and this is what kept my sanity. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's actually quite hard because uh, for me this question because uh, I. In my private life, I try uh, to not have too many gadgets. Um, I have to say that uh, with, a, with my smartphone, I, I nowadays have kind of everything I need in there. I mean, from well, not everything, but everything digitally. Um, so uh, like I, I really enjoy mapping. Uh, so making maps, for example, on OpenStreetMap uh, or uh, just reading maps. Um, so. That this is something that you used to uh, need a proper GPS device and this and that, uh, like some 10 years ago. But nowadays, the smartphones are perfectly capable to do this in good quality, good speed and everything. So um, you can have these things on your phone. I have pretty much everything in my smartphone uh, in terms of digital technologies. Apart from that, uh, maybe the newest gadget at home is my manual coffee grinder, coffee mill. Uh, so you, you can you can invest quite some time into finding the right setting and, and how fast you should turn the handle on your coffee mill uh, to, to get the, the finest uh, uh, ground coffee. But um, I don't know if this is what you had in mind when you asked the question. <laughs> About uh, coffee, I, I know that there is studies, actual studies, where they, <laughs> where they studied the... Uh, uh, ideal size of the little um, little coffee uh, powder, like the powder. Um, how you how you how you can, I don't know. Um, and and the the relation from that to the actual aromatic uh, f strongness and 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 it came and actually what you said, it's uh, the goal is not. Um, to have the finest powder possible, but it needs to be a certain um, it needs to be a certain size. So you shouldn't do it too fine. But that's just like I <laughs> I've been to a co coffee festival um, lastly. So ah. so much for a ah you're a coffee stuff. junkie as well, Tim. I this try not to be so much anymore. Um, but since uni, you know, <laughs> I'm addicted to caffeine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, okay, um, Roman, um, the podcast is called Uptime Punks. Everybody has a different definition for uptime. How do you define uptime for yourself? 
for myself, um, well, <laughs> if you ask for myself, then I define uptime as the time between getting up in the morning and going to bed in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in, in terms of data centers, um, I, I I just define uptime as the opposite of downtime. And I mean, I know there's a, a thousand different um, approaches or definitions, um, and I, I don't really have a, a personal favorite or something. Okay. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about Bitcoin and mm -hmm. what Bitcom does and uh, for all the people out there that, um, well, a lot of people in Germany know Bitcom because you guys are the entity, I would say. Um, but uh, I know that you guys also help a lot with legislations, even if it's in Brussels with the European Parliament, you guys advise. Um, but yeah, um, maybe you can tell everybody a little bit about Bitcom and what Bitcom does. Yeah, uh, I'd love to. Um, so Bitcom is you could say a kind of a typical trade association and industry association, but then using the word typical here is maybe not so uh, fitting because it's actually not that typical. It uh, started out some 20 years ago as the, as the trade association for the um, information communication uh, technologies in Germany. Um, but then over the last 10 years, especially, it transformed really into, a, into, a, into an association that focuses on digitization in general. So we uh, usually just refer to ourselves as, a, as the Digital Association of Germany. Um, and as digitalization, as digitization nowadays um, concerns almost every sector of the industry, we by now have almost every sector of, of any industry in in Bitcom uh, represented. So um, we have gone far beyond the um, pure communication information technologies. Um, we have um, um, we have uh, agriculture, we have health, we have education, we have all kinds of uh, fields which you wouldn't traditionally expect to be together in one trade association. And, uh, and they all want to uh, learn about and talk about and network uh, about topics of digitization uh, that concern them. And they, um, of course, that uh, creates a lot of added value here that they can really profit from each other. But apart from that, we are also still the, the most important um, trade association for the uh, information and communication technologies. The big uh, mobile network operators, for example, we are their main uh, trade association, um, but also the data centers are an important part of Bitcom. Uh, those are the classical sectors of Bitcom. Um, being having all these different industries and being uh, such a trade association in Europe's biggest economy means we are also Europe's biggest um, trade association for uh, for for digital industries and. Um, we, yes, as you already mentioned, we don't only focus on the German level. I mean, we are a German association. Uh, most of the business is done in German within Germany for our German members. But our German members are, of course, companies from all over the world uh, and are just represented through their German branches. Um, and then uh, we have a strong focus on the Brussels politics, too, because nowadays a lot of the important decisions are being made in Brussels. So we have uh, an own office in Brussels uh, with our own people there. 
um, to, to stay in contact and uh, stay up to date on all the important news uh, that, that happened there and get us into contact with the responsible people. And um, maybe two more things, one uh, about the size. We have uh, currently a total of more than 2,000 direct member companies. Um, so that's uh, really a lot of companies. Um, and uh, I would say we have uh, by now really by far the highest visibility uh, of, of all the trade associations in Germany. Um, Bitcom manages to be if you live in Germany, uh, to be everywhere. You you travel on the subway train, you suddenly see some uh, Bitcom study or whatever pop up on the on the screens in the subway, or you see it uh, on the on the evening news on any channel, or you see some interviews with Bitcom representatives in the news or read it in the newspaper. Um, so in terms of citations uh, and visibility and interviews and so on, uh, Bitcom is uh, really well represented and well connected um, also in politics. One last example maybe to, to underline that um, just um, yesterday and the day before we had uh, the big uh, annual digitization summit um, in Germany. It's organized uh, by the federal government for many years now uh, and every year in very close cooperation with Bitcom. And uh, the importance of Bitcoin here uh, can be seen from the fact that the the last um, that the last uh, uh, event in this summit was an interview uh, between uh, our Chancellor Angela Merkel and uh, the Bitcoin President Achim Berg. Um, so uh, this uh, the, the visibility is really high in politics, in society, and in the industry. Yeah. Yeah, like I like I said, it's an entity. Um, yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how we would like to call it. But yeah, it's 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 great what you guys do, and um, that's why I think it's it was also important for us to bring you as a guest on this podcast because obviously um, with this uh, pandemic, which hit everybody now, um, digital transformation had to um, well, we like to say in six months we had to do ten years of work probably, but uh, you probably have seen this a little bit um, with from a closer perspective than all of us, um, how, how, how would you see it? Like, was, how, how much growth was actually there? And what do you think was the, the, biggest, the biggest struggle for everybody? And um, what, were, what were some of the low points you have observed and some of the high points where you're like, okay, this, then it worked out? Because um, me and Tim, we, we sit in London and um, like we had, when first lockdown hit, uh, we had no internet for two days. And uh, you're talking about London, which is a major city in the world. Um, but yeah, maybe you can give us some, um, yeah, some ideas there. Yeah, G Germans are uh, traditionally very pessimistic people, right? Uh, who, who everything, uh, who all, all the time always see the, the worst part first. So um, even though the, the general perception in Germany is uh, kind of always negative, um, I have to say that in, in, in this crisis, uh, um, I mean, when, this, uh, when the lockdown started, um, Germany did actually very well uh, regarding its digital technologies, regarding the networks and the data centers. Uh, we didn't have any uh, any major fails. We didn't have any uh, major blackouts, neither in the energy sector, nor in the data center, nor in the uh, mobile networks or anything. Um, 
everything kind of worked from the beginning on the whole time very well. Um, of course, in the first few days, you sometimes have low data rates depending on where you live. The big cities have suddenly everyone in your 10 floor building uh, is uh, doing home office um, at the same time, then um, that, that can have an effect, of course, and did have an effect in, in, in many cities, but uh, never to a degree that it completely failed, that people, um, I mean, smaller exceptions aside, right? But uh, uh, in general, it went really well. And uh, I think the, the both the data center operators and the network operators here can really be proud that they have uh, done a good job in the last few years to set this up properly, that this can't happen or doesn't happen and didn't happen. Um, after that, or let's say during this time, uh, we got a lot of requests from journalists. Um, I got a lot of requests from journalists like, um, how much did the data rates go up? Uh, how big is the data traffic now compared to before? And um, it was actually hard to say. It uh, really depended on what you looked at. I mean, of course, if you looked at um, the data traffic for video conferences that went up by like hundreds of percent, right? Like a, 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 so companies who focused on that and uh, the parts in data centers that they rented, this suddenly had to extend it very quickly and there was a big demand and uh, there was also a shortage for, for some companies uh, offering video conferences, uh, not being able to, to cope with that quick enough uh, in the beginning. But if you look at the data center sector in general, um, and we we had uh, we really asked a lot of the big data center operators here uh, in Germany. Um, they they didn't even see that much of a peak. Um, it wasn't even that much uh, difference to before. Um, I mean, of course, it went a little bit up, but not that um, not as much as you would expect. Um, mainly because um, a, a lot of the um, uh, a lot of the energy consumption, I mean, we looked uh, a lot at energy consumption here, and a lot of the energy consumption is, is uh, kind of a baseline anyway in a data center. And then um, even though the data traffic goes up, the energy didn't go up that much. So um, that, that was a question that we got a lot from the journalists. Like how much more energy do the data centers use? And the, the answer was in the end, um, actually, it's very little difference to before. But yeah, I mean, the, the total data traffic did go up. Um, but also, if you look at the entire sector, not as much as you would expect. Um, I, I think it was the update of Call of Duty that caused a little pike, um, peak at some point. Um. <laughs> you, you, you're totally right, actually. That, that um, <laughs> Some of the biggest peaks, um, I mean, according to the data center operator, some of the biggest peaks are not caused by people suddenly going into lockdown and no. doing video conference. Some of the biggest peaks are when there's uh, major updates for, for games. Uh, available yeah, because yeah. suddenly there's like millions of people downloading gigabytes of data at the same time, and this really, yeah. this really uh, makes uh, th this really draws on the on the data centers. Uh, but uh, I mean, a few people doing some video conferences is, uh, is not that uh, um, bandwidth intensive. Mm -hmm. I have a little follow-up question on what you've just said. You said, um, I mean, I believe you when you say. Uh, Despite higher data traffic, the energy consumption didn't go up. But is there an explanation for this? Does it have to do something with uh, the effectiveness of these data centers um, in the way they use power? Or 
Now, well, as I uh, try to uh, say, um, but let me go more into detail. So a lot of the power consumption of data centers is like a continuous power consumption anyway. So you have some, some basic power need that any data center has um, independent of how much data goes through the data center. A lot of the basic cooling, a lot of the basic um, uh, equipment, all the servers have to run first, right? They, they run and even if they run on, on some um, very low mode, they're still running, they're still consuming energy. So this um, is always already drawing a lot of energy. And then um, you suddenly have more data traffic. So yeah, okay, the servers and uh, the storage uh, devices and so on, they draw a bit more. Um, but compared to the total amount of energy that is being drawn from the, from the energy grid, uh, the, the difference is just not that big, um, especially if you compare it with the, um, with the going up and down that you have every day or every week anyway, um, because the there's always a certain fluctuation. And uh, now, okay, you have a, a bit more, but this this kind of uh, increase is is already in um, calculated into the possible fluctuation anyway. Um, when I say the the data, uh, uh, I mean the energy consumption didn't go up that much. Then I'm really referring to um, the uh, consumption, additional consumption in those few weeks. Of course, if you look at the total energy consumption going up. In the data center sector, it's been going up a lot for years simply because there's so many more data centers being built all the time. Uh, and there's so much more need for data transfer all the time. There's so much more data being created and transmitted online. So of course, um, uh, simply because of that, you have a steady increase also of the energy demand uh, in general of data centers uh, in, in Europe and in the world, independent of lockdown. Lockdown probably has has led to an increase in the speed of digitalization in a lot of fields and will therefore also increase the speed at which more data is being created and more uh, data centers have to be built and therefore maybe uh, drive up the, the energy demand even more. But it's not uh, something that wouldn't have happened anyway, I guess. It's just that we have a slight increase in the speed here. Right. And here we are at the heart of the subject already, I guess, because... Um this higher consumption that goes up uh, anyways because of digitization, because as you said, more data centers are being built, um, uh, thousands of megawatts everywhere, as I imagine, perhaps you know better numbers than I. Um, so is this all sustainable, one, and uh, or how can it be made sustainable or is it already sustainable? So can you give me a brief overview on how many megawatts are built, some kind of statistics um, or just an idea and also in, in the sustainability or the efforts that you see um, being made in, in terms of making this energy at least, uh, the consumed energy at least uh, renewable or um, compensated somewhere um, because it is actually kind of now where you need to, to act, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I think everyone is uh, after, especially uh, after last year's uh, widespread uh, protests, um, uh, kind of, I mean, even the last person by now, I think, is aware of the problem. Um, so uh, that, that, that something has to be done, that uh, CO2 levels have to be reduced. Um, so last year, we, we suddenly, uh, within 
the context of this um, whole climate movement, which I'm, um, which I see in general very positively, um, this movement, but. Um, Within this context, you suddenly saw a lot more focus on data centers and now data center, the data center sector has been uh, looking for a bit more recognition maybe by society and politics for, for many years, uh, but not maybe not in the way that, uh, that it happened last year because the focus uh, kind of shifted to, um, to, to a story of uh, data centers are um, uh, uh, destroying the planet, basically, to, to, to cut it short. Um, there, we, we had headlines like uh, streaming is the new flying and uh, uh, how data centers uh, are uh, killing our climate, stuff like that. And I think what, what people need to understand here is that, um, that data centers are, are just... Um, meeting the demand that is there by the by digitalization uh the demand that is being created by those people by the people themselves privately by the by the industry by uh the progress we see in industry now of course that doesn't mean that you uh can't or shouldn't uh try to try intensely to um to, to make things more efficient and to save energy. But this, you first have to recognize that this is a demand that is there and that will not go away. And that everyone now is using their smartphones and is streaming movies. And most people, I mean, by far most people don't want to give up and will not give up these things. Um, and then the next step is to also recognize, realize and recognize that um, the data centers that um, and, and this entire data infrastructure, I mean, the networks and the data centers, um, that this digitalization in itself, um, as far as we can tell today, uh, will be required to, um, to, to implement this new economy that we are trying to, to achieve, this carbon-free society. Um, because a lot of things, um, a lot of energy efficiency gains can only be achieved by more and more digitalization. Um, there's a lot of studies uh, about that now. We just um, published a few days ago uh, some results from our newest study that we do uh, together with Accenture. Um, and here we, uh, we, we show uh, very nicely that uh, there's a huge potential for more CO2 reductions through digitalization in different scenarios, like a just moderate level of digitalization or a stronger level of digitalization. And um, uh, for the German goal, for example, of, uh, of CO2 reductions until 2030, um, the, the study shows that up to, up to 46% in the most optimistic scenario, but still up to 46% of those um, savings can be achieved through digitalization but even the the much more moderate scenarios still have like more than 30 percent of those um, uh, co2 savings being being possible to achieve through digitalization uh, and, and and for that you need data centers now that is uh, a different debate uh, kind of or should be a different debate uh, from um from, from uh, the energy efficiency that you have to achieve in data centers anyway, but you have to combine them uh, because you, you have to be aware that uh, you, you cannot just say, okay, data centers are bad or the energy consumption of data centers is too high in general because you first have to understand that we really need 
this uh, level of digitalization that we need more digitalization to be able to counter a lot of the um, negative effects of climate change that we need to counter to, uh, to, to, to bring down the CO2 levels to fight climate change. Uh, especially in uh, production industries. I mean, here the biggest, um, the biggest gains can be achieved according to our newest study. That's very interesting. Um, I, I think I can, um, I, I think I agree. I mean, if you see how much paper uh, we've all used back in the days in school and now it's, now it's saved. I don't know if that saving of paper equals Uh, the energy consumed by the by the laptops and tablets we use, but it is it is at least a saving, isn't it? But um, what I'm uh, what I'm trying to ask you is um, if you have some more examples of where a digitalization of a process, a product, or anything um, saves saves uh, actual energy. Um, consumes less energy than what it replaces, like um, paper being or books, books right, books being replaced by Kindle. I've, I don't know the carbon balance there, but you perhaps have some some more um, examples that that are telling. Yeah, I mean there, there's uh, there's by now probably thousands of different use cases and examples on uh, where digitalization uh, saves energy uh, for the paper with the books, uh, the example, um, it, it sounds uh, like it makes sense. I'm, I'm, I also don't have the numbers, so I, I don't know. I'm, I wouldn't be too sure about the paper itself. I mean, paper industry is quite water and energy intensive, but then to produce a laptop computer, that's quite energy intensive too. So I, I don't know, but um, if, you, if you look into just into our lockdown here and see how much we can suddenly do with video conferencing, right? I mean, I know this is a classical example that is often being brought forward, but it is currently so obvious for everyone. This is such a good example that you can see where people used to travel for hundreds, thousands of miles and like hundreds and, and uh, of people going to a conference or something, uh, flying uh, forth and back and suddenly they all realize, hey, you can actually do a lot by web meetings. Um, I mean, Web meetings will never be able to fully replace real life meetings. And I think by now, a lot of us people who travel a lot realize how nice it would be to, to see some people in real life again. But I think there will be major changes in the industry after this um, lockdown, after this uh, virus crisis um, compared to before. There will be significantly less travel because people have realized, companies have realized that you can indeed um, Uh, uh, save certain trips that you can save a lot of trips actually because it works quite well with the video conferencing and now everyone has gotten used to it so you don't have to travel to every to every place yourself you can you can really uh, do a lot of things meeting like this and there you can really save a lot of co2 it doesn't matter if you go by car or if you fly with an airplane even um, if instead you can meet with a video conference It, it doesn't even it doesn't even really matter if the data center is energy efficient or not because compared to the um, energy usage and CO2 that you uh, would cause with a with a flight by airplane the difference is so immense so big that um, that is just uh, a huge uh, benefit here I mean that doesn't mean you shouldn't save on those and work on those data center efficiency I'm just saying that compared to this it's basically insignificant. Um, 
So uh, you, you, you can really achieve a lot. But let me give you one more example, which maybe is, isn't so common, uh, which I have just uh, heard about or learned about a few weeks ago and which I found really nice. Um, nowadays, drones are super uh, in. Everyone is suddenly flying drones. And it's a super good example of um, how you can, with a new technology, with a digital technology, suddenly make a lot of things much more easy. I mean, you can you can get a lot of footage from the air for which before you needed to rent helicopters to, to get images or whatever. And helicopters use a hell lot of, of energy, of fuel. And if you do that with a drone that you that you are just charged in your in your wall socket for a few hours. Um, the, the, the difference again is huge, um, but it can also be other things. Like for, um, I learned that um, that that's the new part for me. That for uh, energy uh, grid operators, like those big power lines, uh, those high voltage lines, uh, they have to be regularly checked. So you need people uh, driving by uh, by car and looking at every at every pylon, every pole. Um, if, if it's still okay, and then they, they drive around along with their car uh, to everywhere for, for dozens of kilometers uh, in, in, um, over, over the fields and through forests, and it uses a lot of fuel, obviously. You can do the whole thing much faster, more efficiently, and much more uh, with much lower energy consumption if you have a long-range drone flying along. I mean, you still need the guy to operate the drone, um, but uh, the whole thing uh, saves time and it saves energy. And there's just, uh, as I said, like thousands of examples where you can where you can really save uh, unbelievably large amounts of energy with digital technologies. And um, we, we we should really work on that. We should use that. We should embrace these opportunities and and try to um, to 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 make them work for our benefit here, for like against climate change and for uh, a cleaner and better environment. Yes, I, I very much like what you say uh, in terms of um, examples. I see myself, I couldn't think of any examples, but now that you spoke about, I, I suddenly have lots of ideas and even business uh, ideas on how to, on how to uh, save energy. But to me, in the end, it all boils down to one question. I mean, data centers will always use energy and we know that it might save energy somewhere else. And we know that digitalization, as you beautifully explained, helps to um, to to save energy somewhere else, and 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 actually is a is a is a is a is a condition for the transition towards a greener economy and society. So, if we agree with all that, it still needs energy, and I guess one of the challenges is correct me if I'm wrong, to get this energy from renewable, sustainable sources. Um, how how do you think this will be possible if the demand um, will only be rising in the future? And if I may add, um, in Germany we have uh, we I'm not German myself, but in Germany they decided um, to uh, abandon coal and nuclear energy, so two sources less, but more energy demand. It's kind it's kind of a, a challenge, isn't it? Um, how, how would you say? Um, we should act to meet this challenge. Yeah, I will. I think I, I will not and cannot uh, go into uh, into the details of uh, the future energy sector in Germany. That that's not my field. Um, although I think I, I have a fairly good understanding of it. But um, uh, as you said, it is uh, definitely a challenge. 
Um, but let me uh, step. Uh, one step back and say um, we, we don't only have the, um, the renewable energy. That's one of, uh, in my opinion, three major things that you can do to make energy uh, to make data centers more sustainable. Um, because, as you said, I mean the, the data centers are that the sector is growing. There is more energy consumption, and despite everything I said, despite this added value somewhere else that you, where you can save, of course we see this in, um, large increase in energy demand, and it's growing rapidly, and um, so rapidly that we we should try everything we can to to, to limit this um, uh, uh, this the, the, the growth in energy uh, um, demand from this. So. Uh, or, or at least in dirty energy demand. So yeah, as you mentioned, uh, in my opinion, there's like three ways. Uh, the main uh, approach is, of course, to to um, to make the power that they consume, the electricity that the data centers consume, uh, more green. Ideally, completely carbon-free. That goes not only for data centers. That goes for energy, any. Um, uh, electricity consumption in our society anyway, that we have to find ways to produce this electricity um, carbon-free. So uh, the uh, obvious um, approach here is uh, uh, renewable energies with, with all the advantages and disadvantages. Um, I have to say we've seen an incredible increase here, um, which many people uh, said is impossible. Um, when I started to get really interested in those fields of, of um, uh, environmental protection and uh, energy uh, saving, energy efficiency and uh, renewable energies, um, the, the part, the, the share of renewable of renewables in German electricity supply was somewhere between one and two percent. And people said um, so in the 90s. And people said more than 10% is, uh, makes the entire network uh, unstable, the entire energy grid. It won't work. And uh, now, now we are at like, uh, I'm not totally sure, somewhere between 30 and 40% or even above 40% uh, of, of renewable, the share of renewables in the German electricity supply already. Um, even though we're a country with not too much sunshine, I have to say. And um, uh, yeah, we have plenty of wind, but also compared to, um, to, to, to British islands, for example, where you are, we don't have that much wind. So um, despite these uh, actually not ideal uh, conditions, we managed to bring this up a lot. Uh, now, I'm not saying that, that it's easy to bring this to 100%. The opposite is, is, is extremely difficult. And there's a lot of difficult debates that you have to have that are being fought uh, on the European level, like what about nuclear energy, because it's uh, almost carbon-free, uh, but of course has other uh, negative sides which you have to take into account. Okay, so this is the renewable side, but I mentioned there's three things. So the second thing would be energy efficiency. Um, it always makes sense to invest into energy efficiency. If you manage to... To, to, to save the energy uh, right away. If, if you don't even consume the energy, that's of course the best approach, the best thing that you can have. And energy efficiency has been a topic in, in, in the data center industry for, for decades now, because data centers use so much energy, like for most large data centers, um, the, 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 the price of the electricity uh, makes up uh, roughly 50% of, of the total cost. So um, 
it is obviously a huge incentive to invest into uh, energy efficiency technologies, but that doesn't mean that all the data centers are super energy efficient yet. Um, new ones are usually very energy efficient, especially in Germany, um, because the electricity supply uh, prices here are ridiculously high. Um, but uh, older data centers, for example, are often still not that energy efficient. Um, if you have a 10 year old data center, um, I mean, like with any technology, you, you have to, uh, as, as the owner or investor, you have to, to, to think like, okay, does it make more sense uh, from the business perspective to, to invest into this new technology or to operate it for two more years or something, right? So um, here there, there's something, there's still a lot of potential, also a lot of smaller data centers, company data centers, uh, which don't use uh, in total that much energy, are not very energy efficient. And there could be a lot more being done like large data centers have a much higher incentive to invest in those technologies than smaller data centers. Uh, so there's also still a lot of potential in the smaller data centers where you can increase the efficiency. There's a lot of different ways and approaches uh, which I will not go into detail because I said there's three things and the third thing is um, clearly the waste heat recovery. Um, data centers using so much electricity what happens to the to the power? I mean, as we all have learned in, in school, I hope that all of us have learned that, is that uh, energy doesn't really get lost. It always just gets transformed. So if you have electrical energy and it's being used, then what you end up with in the end is usually heat energy, like most of it. I mean, you have some going into uh, movement of the fans of some IT equipment maybe, but it's mostly heat energy. And um, so all this huge energy demand after it's being used in the data center is just turned into heat. Um, huge amounts of heat and so far in most countries including Germany this heat is just being cooled away it just goes out through the roof so um, it's, it's not being used at all and uh, there's a lot of uh, things happening here a lot of movement in this field now in the last uh, years and even months um, there are some countries which are very clearly ahead here especially the Scandinavian countries which have been using uh, waste heat from data centers for their energy supply for their heat supply for many years um, but many other countries including Germany here are, are not really um, into that yet uh, and I think by now most politicians or many politicians start to realize that uh, especially Germany will have a huge demand for new for new heat sources. Because as you said already, we have decided to phase out our coal power plants. And so far a lot, especially in the large cities where the data centers are, a lot of the heat energy that we consume comes actually from coal power plants. So we, we just use the, the heat that is being generated uh, during electricity production anyway and use it for, for heating, for district heating or, or next door uh, like, short distance, long distance heating networks. And all this, if the coal power plants uh, will be phased out, all this supply will suddenly be gone, but there's still a need, there's still a demand for, for heating, right? People still need to heat in winter, even though climate change makes the winters a little bit less cold, but uh, you, you still need to heat your home usually in winter. So it has to come from somewhere. And why not from data centers? They are there anyway, and, the, uh, and there will be more of them. And the, the heat is there anyway, uh, so so why not use that? Why not use that energy? I mean, again, if you go into detail, there's a lot of complications. Everything is always very complicated when you go into detail. But the general approach that why why should you waste this energy? Of course, it should be used. 
Um, Tim, Tim, do you remember my first question back then to Dr. Peter Koch about using the heat and the energy of the data center? Yes, I remember something about <laughs> plants and um, their um, their alternative use. So, no, 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 so, so, so I was saying non-medical uh, uh, use of, of them. No, um, I, I guess the the heat waste um, reuse is is a very hot topic. Ha ha ha. In, in Germany, especially, um, we've talked about it at our uh, event already. Mm -hmm. But um, what 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 I think is, um, I mean, there are, as you said, there are, if you go into detail, other challenges come up, and then you you lose yourself into reasons why not to do it. So let's not go there. Let's just say this is the the way to go. And uh, wasn't there something about triple negative that you? Yes, right. This is what I wanted to get into now. Because, right, because um, the next point on the agenda is sustainability. And um, but over to you, Paul. <laughs> yeah. So um, now, because uh, like like uh, we discussed this topic already a couple of times, and um, Susanna from the US she brought up something um, which is now a triple a triple energy pledge. Basically, you're going into the negative, which means um, if I understand this correctly, you produce more energy than you use energy. Um, which is, for example, that you, um, she was mentioning that a lot of water is being used uh, to build data centers, but also to operate data centers, and there would be a more efficient way of using that water, maybe the heat then. She said there was a couple of models where they put used that heat from the water to put it back into community centers or to schools or uh, some of these things. Um, is there in Germany? Because um, coming back to when I said introduction, so... Um, I'm, I'm sure the entire German data set industry is going to be very proud of this. Um, I have to tell you guys something. In America, you're the rock stars. People look up to you. They look at Germany and say, wow, what they do in Germany, we wish we could do this in the US. Um, so um, I would say, yeah, um, hats, hats up for that one. Uh, you guys really, um, in Germany especially, you guys are really um, pioneers in leading the industry. That's how everybody around the world thinks and um, makes you makes you quite proud, I would say. Um, but yeah, so um, Roman, looking at that, maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. Uh, it, it, we, there's always a saying um, that the grass always looks greener on the other side, but um, apparently we have um, a beautiful park and not even just a garden in Germany. But uh, how would you say there's some scenarios where that heat was really well used, um, even if it's on a small scale, um, but I'm sure you've come across some of these. There was probably studies that have been done on it and um, successful projects where something this was uh, used. Let, let, let me uh, say a few words to your uh, uh, remarks about uh, how the world sees us first. <laughs> uh, as I said already, um, you have to keep in mind that Germans are naturally pessimistic people and uh, you, you can't neglect the fact that I'm German myself. Um, so of course uh, I, uh, I I I kind of um, I mean it, it sounds good um, ma makes you happy to hear but I immediately can come up with a lot of things where I think no 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 but in this field and that field that's definitely wrong no that can't be um, so let me give you one example where I think the US uh, because you mentioned that it came from the US uh, is doing much better uh, in this um, in this field uh, when it comes to, to to renewables or sustainability and data centers. Um, uh, power purchase agreements. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept. So uh, 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 an energy user doesn't have to be a data center. A big energy user is making a direct contract uh, with an energy producer, basically. 
So you, you make a long-term power purchase agreement with each other where you uh, where you regulate exactly how much power you use and uh, what's like the minimum usage and so on. That's all regulated in the contract. And um, this, is, this is a very nice tool uh, to... Um, to, to support a green energy, renewable energy, like big solar cell uh, suppliers or wind farms or something. And in the US, you can really see um, that a lot of the big data center operators are making power purchase agreements uh, with big, uh, um, with big uh, renewable energy producers, with big uh, renewable energy companies uh, to, to, uh, for, for long-term supply of their data centers. Because in, in the end, it's even it's even um, cost efficient for them. Because in the long term, uh, renewable energies are actually very cheap, right? Because they are. I mean, there's no nothing, no fuel to burn or anything. The sun uh, is, is just shining for free, basically, and you just need some maintenance in between. But even that is usually not that expensive. So um, it's actually a good investment. But in Germany, this doesn't work at all so far. I mean, there's a few examples, but. Um, uh, altogether, it doesn't work uh, for for stupid but funny reason, um, which which is totally understandable because we have uh, we have those um, renewable energy laws in Germany, which in general um, have uh, supported our strong increase in in renewable energies a lot in the last twenty years um, and have worked kind of well, but. Uh, the idea is that you supply um, th that if you pr if you are a producer of renewable energy, like you build you you buy a solar cell for your own house, let's say, then the the government uh, promises you uh, that they will buy all your renewable energy for the next twenty years. Um, so, so that you you know you have the safety you have um, you, you don't have to be afraid that no one buys your energy and your investment was in vain. That's the idea behind it. Uh, that that was what led partly to the big increase of renewable energies in Germany. So um, the, that that someone promises you to buy all the energy from you, and there's even like minimum prices at which they buy it from you or fixed prices. So um, uh, even though they are maybe not always the super highest prices, but uh, you you have you have really security, safety. Germans love safety and security. So, <laughs> but. Um, if you if you build a wind farm or, or solar cells or whatever, and you have a choice to make a power purchase agreement with a data center provider who says, okay, I promise you to buy your energy for the next seven years at this price. Or you can choose to go into the scheme of the government, which promises you for the next 20 years to buy all your energy. Why would you close the contract with the data center? The, the, the data center will you usually not be willing to close a 20-year contract with you. So uh, th this kind of, I mean, the law makes sense, everything makes sense, everything is understandable, but in this case, it, it hinders this nice cooperation and this nice investment into renewable energy. Uh, but, but don't you think it would be then up to the government to say, uh, the government would need to redirect their agreement and say, hey, Mr. Data Center, you need to come through this channel. Otherwise, you know what, we're going to pull the plug on you. Um, this this comes back into politics. I mean, this is where politics would need to step up and say, okay, um, guys, if you want to run your data centers in that area, I mean, of course, data centers always, there are a lot of green parties in, in Germany that will say, oh, the data centers destroy the environment. Um, and if they can put the foot down in where data centers can be built and not be built, they should be able to put the foot down and say, okay, 
listen, guys, um, you can have the data center there, but you need to do um, you need to do renewable energies, which means you need to tap into this energy source, which we have already signed agreements with. The government could even uprise it by two, three percent, collect some more tax money on that one, which the government loves anyways. So this means the government could be making money off the data centers even more. Um, I think that's a that's a perfect that's a perfect economy then. Yeah, um, the little man with his solar panel gets something. I mean, you know, Roman. For me, I always think the biggest problem is about the data center industry that no one really understands what it is. People just take it for granted. They sit down. Switch on the TV, Netflix comes on. Ah, oh, bloody hell, why is it not loading? Okay, but people don't understand that there's so much behind that that Netflix. Until Netflix reaches your TV, there's there's people building a data center, planning a data center. There's guys like you who are fighting for data centers, for fighting for the rights, like civil rights, you're fighting for the data center rights. And it's like... Um, People don't understand. And in, in, in times like now, there's lockdowns. Yeah, you said we, we weren't really at these peaks. Peaks were for upgrades, whatever it is. But um, me and Tim, we always like, this was one of the first things we declared as the uptime punks. It's like we see data center professionals as critical workers of our society because without data centers, nothing works. And people don't understand this. So even your, um, even your thermostat or your mobile phone or whatever it is, you always... They will not pass a day unless you're somewhere in the Amazonas in the rainforest. But even then, you're probably going to touch a Garmin device to see for the navigation where you're going. You're not going to ever have a day where you're not going to get in touch with any data center. And I think that um, the data center community has done a great job during uh, lockdown periods and this pandemic to keep everything up and running. Because um, this were the people that couldn't go home and say, OK, um, see you next week. We're going to close the data center now for the weekend because everybody is watching TV can basically go to hell um but uh, yeah <laughs> this is this is this is how we see it but yeah i think maybe the government needs to do a little bit more on that side because um i think it's also a big struggle in frankfurt and frankfurt are planning a lot of new data centers and um some a part of the well let's not get too much into politics but um um, the, the cabinet of the mayor supports it, but the mayor cannot officially say that he supports it because there's the Green Party who is saying, well, you guys are destroying the environment. But then um, Brexit happened in the UK. Um, Roman can see it, the listeners can't see it, all these high-rise buildings. But I mean, that's the banking industry. That's Goldman Sachs. This is Barclays. This is, this is all these guys who are moving to Frankfurt from 1st of January onwards. And uh, they need to store their stuff somewhere. And that's why data centers are popping up like mushrooms. So you're making hundreds of millions of euros um and then well everything comes at a price um and i think this is something where the government needs to be more understandable and i think yes the germans are very pessimistic but i think the biggest enemies the germans have is that they always try to how do you say try to debate everything over and over again to make sure that all parties are satisfied Rather than just saying, okay, that's how it is, that's how we need to do it, and that's how we're going to move forward. And by the time we come up with new legislations or whatever it is in uh, Germany, it's just five years past, and that's how it always feels. Well, that's just my personal opinion. But um, coming to one topic where we're going to get a little bit into where I think Germany is leading at the moment, and that would be Gaia X. Mm -hmm. That's why I think Germany is um, playing a major role. I know you're not an expert to it, but I would still love to get your view on it from a data center perspective. 
Um, yeah, ab absolutely. You're right. Uh, Germany is leading here because it was basically Germany's idea. Um, uh, of course, it's a it's a German-French project from the beginning on, um, but uh, the idea and the, the initiative came from the German side here, um, and uh, then they quickly started to to uh, follow through with this uh, as a German-French uh, German project, which I think was the right approach, because if you want to make this a truly European project, um, you, you have to start with like at least two large countries which can cooperate here. And um, I have to say, in the beginning, when this started, I was a bit skeptic. <laughs> I'm still a bit skeptic. I'm still German. Um, but um, I, I, I was much more skeptic in the beginning because um, the ideas were, were huge, but um, it, as it's usually the case, if you begin with something, there wasn't much behind it, right? It was just big talk and then uh, no, no substance. So then all those groups were formed in the beginning in all those groups, it seemed a bit chaotic. Uh, people, some groups were already far ahead and others were still talking about uh, like questions like, but we don't know how it works. Uh, so so um, it, it was all a bit chaotic in my opinion, and but uh, that was really just the first few months and then it quickly got onto track and uh, there's so many different players, so many different groups that really do good work and, and have done good work and are really uh, moving, moving forward here quickly. Um, there's still a lot of open questions, but the project isn't, uh, isn't there yet, right? It's okay to, uh, to still have open questions. And... Um, from as you asked specifically about my uh, view from the from the data center from the infrastructure perspective, um, I I I mean I think it's a good uh, opportunity for for uh, for European players uh, to to get their foot into into the system um, where uh, if this is really up and running in approximately a year from now, hopefully. Um, and people, companies, big and small companies, uh, medium-sized businesses can choose from this big GAIA-X uh, landing page, platform thing, whatever uh, their uh, providers of um, hosting services, of um, artificial intelligence services or whatever, they suddenly see there's actually a lot more than you, than you used to know, that there's actually a lot of companies, European companies, but also from other countries. Um, and... And this alone, I mean, apart from all the uh, data safety and privacy and so on rules, um, but even this alone already, this this uh, overview platform, I think, will be a big chance for many companies, uh, especially European companies, which was the idea uh, kind of of the project, uh, to to become more visibility. Suddenly, uh, some 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 small uh, business from from Italy sees that they can actually use this or that digital service from the company from Sweden. And, and why shouldn't they? Because data is exchangeable. And if uh, latency is not a big concern and what you want, then uh, it doesn't matter if the company is in Sweden, right? Um, uh, be before that, maybe you would have just thought, hmm, I don't know how to do it at all. Maybe they wouldn't have done it. Or they said they would have thought, hmm, but we don't trust those big operators from the United States or from China. Um, but this Gaia-X thing promises us uh, certain minimum standards here that we can rely on. That's the idea, right? To really push the industry. And by now, I'm, I have to say, I'm much more optimistic that this is really going to work out. I mean, how good it is going to work in the end is still open. But um, I, I think I... I think it's going to work. And um, maybe one interesting fact, which I observed, there was this big Gaia X summit just like 
two weeks ago, I think, uh, last week or last last week, I think one or two weeks ago. Um, time flies, um, and the the question that gets asked most often is, of course. Uh, but now the big players from, from the United States or China are on board too. How is this still the original idea? Uh, what, uh, how, how does this protect anyone's data or something? Um, and, and I get this question also asked in our working groups in Bitcom by our members, uh, by some of our members. But to be honest, first, um, if you want a, a, a kind of free market, uh, you, you can't just exclude companies just because they are from somewhere else, right? That that is not the idea. So the idea here really has been and is to to set those standards that every company that wants to participate has to meet. Doesn't matter if they are from the U.S., if they are from Germany, if they are from China. Every company can participate if they meet the standards. And the second layer is that the the end user can choose in the end right you can choose you can sort i mean it's not fully clear how the um, how the, the the interface will look like but in the end you will be able to choose which companies to use and if despite all those uh, promises and uh, despite all those um, minimum requirements and so on uh, you still don't trust certain companies from certain regions you can just exclude them in your search you don't have to use the services from them you can see it in your overview and you choose what you use. I think that's, uh, that's a very fair uh, solution that makes sense. And um, uh, you, you can still achieve the goals that you wanted with it. Right. I think um, to me, uh, just to add um, on what you said, to me, the fact that those big companies, the obvious ones, um, uh, Google or Alibaba or uh, Azure or whoever, who is not a European cloud <clears throat> Our infrastructure provider, if they want to take part in Gaia X, it means basically that they see value in it, that they see use in it, and that they actually want to learn from from it, because they have realized, hey, Europe, there's a demand for data sovereignty, and if we want to keep up with this demand, we may need to take um, part in the project. So it actually means that um, they have realized what the what the problem is. Um, in certain regards of their service, isn't it? Or that that they have realized that uh, in order to maintain trust, they, they might need to take part in this project and take over some of these values that are underlying Gaia-X, which are data sovereignty and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, also um, uh, free exchange, free circulations, not only of uh, persons and money, but also data within certain legal boundaries. So I think it's a, it's a good thing. Um, and it also ties in with what we've, we've um, discussed with uh, another guest. Uh, I think the episode is still, um, um, is still pending, uh, so it will be published after this one. But it is about the whole notion of reversibility in the cloud. If I choose a cloud provider, maybe at some point, for whatever reason, I want this data back. I want to put it somewhere else. I want, or I want multiple clouds um, operating for me, uh, public ones, uh, private ones. But so perhaps sometimes I want to tweak. I want to put this uh, to cloud provider X and vice versa. And I think Gaia X could potentially offer exactly this. So um, allow people to be more flexible 
and avoid to be locked in with one big vendor uh, that you once chose because he was cheap and the biggest and had a good sales team. <laughs> and uh, now you're locked in and you can't really go back. And it hinders you to, it hinders then yourself to perhaps be flexible and agile and competitive. So to me, it's there's lots of potential there. Um, but I, I don't know about what Paul uh, wants to <laughs> wants to add on on that because I think... no I don't want to add a lot I just want to say um, I think it's um, remarkable after um, the history of the 1900s that um, Europe comes together unified and even though that um, Brexit is happening all of these things and during a pandemic but that Europe stands there as one. And then um, also that all these companies, big companies where you would normally not expect them to be able to sit down on one table and try to find uh, a common ground, mm. that everybody sits down and says, okay, it's good to put this legislations, all these rules in place. And I think this is, um, I think it's a great step um, of for Europeans, not just for Germans, but Europeans in general to um, be a little bit more united and um, to move forward. Right. And I think it, um, well, I think it quite sucks, to be honest, that the UK, um, well, it's not going to be part of it because they have 29 days left and, um, yeah, well, uh, everything else seems more important, but that's a different story. Shall we do a podcast um, about the impact of Brexit maybe next time? Um, yeah. Talking about Europe as one uh, question to, came to mind. Is there any Swedish or Nordic um, cloud provider or um, are they just... Um, is there just the hyperscalers with the data centers there? Because that would be interesting, isn't it, Roman? There is some Green Mountain. Green Mountain, example. yeah. Uh, Green Mountain. Because that'd um, be interesting, take, having them taking part in GAIA-X and at the same time be able to to have their data centers in a in a in a very interesting energy. Well, there's a couple of projects which I know about. I know that um, yeah. I think it's BMW who is doing the stuff up in Norway. Mm. I think because um, cooling, yeah. Roman is nodding the head. Yeah. I know my data center industry, Roman. <laughs> Roman, I what? might not be an expert. I might not be an expert like you, but yeah. uh, I know a couple of things. What cloud providers do you know uh, that you think are potentially interesting in in the context of that we've just discussed? You don't necessarily need to do the name dropping thing um, because this is a vendor neutral podcast, but um, it's still interesting to to kind of discuss. Well, if, if I'd know a handful, I, I would just name them um, as long as it's not just one particular. It's usually not a problem. But um thing is, uh, from the Nordic countries, uh, I, I know there are some. I know there are um, a lot of companies uh, in general uh, in, 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 in digital industries which are quite active in the Nordic countries. Um, but to be honest, I, I'm really not familiar with uh, specific uh, cloud providers from the Nordic countries. I'm sure there are some, but if they are not themselves active in Germany, I, I simply don't have, uh, or not active enough at least, uh, then I simply don't have much to do with them. So I'm, I'm really not in, into that. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Which leaves us to our final question, Tim. I think is it is it time for the final one? I think Roma, it's fine. Roma, did you promise us uh, to sing uh, the Christmas song? Your favorite. I didn't one? promise anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but what is your favorite Christmas song, and why is it that song? What's the story behind it? I'm, I'm not so much of a Christmas person. I uh, I don't think I have a favorite Christmas song. Um, I, I don't know. Um, seems like there's unlimited Christmas songs. Um, 
both modern pop songs as well as old folk songs, um, of which we have a lot of German ones, too, obviously, which most of them I don't even remember the lyrics. I uh, feel a bit bad for it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm neither much into singing nor much into Christmas in general. So, um, uh, but I don't know. I'm, uh, but it seems like you were really serious about this uh, Christmas song thing. Uh, <laughs> yes, we're really disappointed, Roman. Um, but anyways, um, the alternative question maybe: as a physicist, as a data center. Um, uh, as a data center expert, as a as a climate, can I say activist? I don't know, um, or as at least as an environmentally uh, very conscious person, what would you ask uh, for Christmas? <laughs> we need to finish on a Christmas note. That's 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 the that's the. Or do you even get a Christmas tree? No, that's not sustainable. <laughs> Um, no, I don't get a Christmas tree. No, I, I usually don't. No. Yeah. Um, but the requirement I, um, is to finish on a Christmas note. So um. yeah, you're, you're, you're asking uh, questions regarding uh, climate change, uh, which um, I, I quickly get into conflict with uh, between my private wishes and my and my job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, to to stay within the data center industry or in this context, maybe um, what I what I'd wish for is um, I think uh, for 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 politics um, administration, but also the general public to understand what we've discussed also today to to understand maybe a bit better. It doesn't need to be kitsch. Uh, it doesn't need to be. Yeah, it's fine. I, I think this. Um, I, I think was was lovely. And sorry for putting you on the spot, but that's why we called the uptown punks. Yeah, um, no, it's, fine. it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, a very sober. It's a very sober statement, and uh, I think that's what we all need, anyways. Even during Christmas, a bit of soberness and a clear head. Well, Tim, um, you don't drink, anyways. Neither do I. So I mean, sober in a in a in a in a reflective. Oh, okay. Way. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. I, I thought uh, you can still you love your you can still love your beer and be a sober person. Uh, um, yeah. Rather than uh, someone who is like ideologically uh, driven, okay, by whatever. So, Anyways, now um, it's time for the last word for Roman. Or, yes, uh, last word of the guest. The last word of the guest. Um, well, if it's a uh, if it's the last word and not words, I guess it should be by. Uh, <laughs> oh no! Uh, no, I'm, I'm, um, thank you very much. It was actually uh, really fun uh, doing this talk with you, um, and uh, I think I, I enjoyed giving some insights here, uh, giving some insights to um, the, the people, the listeners, also on those uh, sustainability and energy um, efficiency topics. Um, some insights into the German data center market here. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I, I could go on talking about this for, for the next five hours, I guess, um, but uh, everything must come to an end. And um, I'm, I'm happy if people take with them um, the, the messages uh, that, that uh, things can be, can be done, that uh, things can be changed for the better, um, and that data centers are not some, uh, I guess most of the listeners to this uh, uh, podcast know that anyway, are not something evil, obviously. Um, but uh, that that you can um, that you can use them for the benefit of of uh, sustainability and uh, to fight climate change, and that there's still a lot of potential 
to uh, for for more efficiency for greener data centers absolutely uh, and that should be followed uh, I'm, i i really don't want to argue against that at all um, but uh, both things have to be kept in mind and have to be seen at the same time that's my last word <laughs> excellent thank you very much roman um, for joining us for your time and expertise and uh, countless hours of preparation um, no but I'm, I'm sure you 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 put lots of work into this and we always appreciate that um, because it 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 really is as you said for our listeners uh, valuable content and and insights and um, right I guess we'll talk um, later next year perhaps again on where we left all that pick it all up again and see what else we got to discuss. But for now, I wish you a happy Christmas and a very happy new year as well. And perhaps you you will realize uh, on the way what your favorite Christmas song is. If there is, uh, I mean, he, he's gonna be he's gonna be um, singing along with something at some point, and then he will remember us. He's gonna be yeah. hunted by the. By um, the I'm always having, yeah. <laughs> I'm even now already having this Rudolph the Red Nose. Oh, oh, yeah, there we go. I hope you. I hope you survive Brexit, guys. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> see you on the other side. <laughs> see you on the other side. Yeah. Okay. Cheers. Bye. 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 Hey Tim, I I think I think we're um, getting somewhere with this um, with um, our green uptime thumb. I think um, it's really great because I think um, we're finding a common ground with a lot of people. And I what I really like is that a lot of people are very passionate about um, protecting the environment in our planet, um, which I think is something moving forward. Um, yeah. Um, is something really we need to make more noise about. Maybe we also need to think about how we can, as the punks, try to help the movement a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, not something like every download we plant a tree. Well, that would be. Um, would There's be no room for trees in in London anymore. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, no, but yeah, definitely. So um... uh, I would say this is our pledge that. Me and Tim, we're going to put our heads together during um, the festive time and uh, think about something, how we can, uh, in 21, be part of making this difference. And um, if you're a company out there that is working deeply into that part of the industry, um, please reach out to us. Uh, we would love to have you here, give your voice um, that you can be heard. And um, yeah, a little bit back to Roman. Uh, quite interesting, huh? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I so, loved how he how systematically he 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 gave every answer like he really always structured what he said. It's always like in I actually wanted to start with the point. mobile phone. Like I didn't understand yes. what he's in programmer mode on his mobile phone. I actually don't really know, but he said he wants to see the data streams. So um, so is it always in data for like? No, I think he's he's. Um, He's opening the console where he can see how the apps are actually executed in the background. I think that's what, what, it, what it means. 
I don't know why. Uh, you can actually do the same in your browser when you surf. Um, you can open the console. But um, I'm not sure if it really is the same. So I don't know. Maybe ask him next time. It's just a really geeky thing to do. Um, and I, I didn't quite get what, what the added value was in the end. But then again, uh, that, that's some, some things don't always need to have any value. They can just be there for their own sake. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you wanted to share with us your um, second favorite Christmas song? No, that's for the next episode, I said. No, you have to sing. Roma didn't sing, so now you have to sing. Okay. Um, but then I wouldn't. Ha I, I won't have any song left for the next episode. So it's up to wow. you, mate. What about you? You didn't sing yet. Oh, mate. I don't know. Like, uh, I don't have an angelic voice. Um, I'm, I'm, more like, I'm, I'm more like a Pavarotti, but I, I don't want to, like, break the microphone. Um speakers on the other end okay let's but, keep uh, it for the next time then let's I'm, keep it for the next time i'm done for today but um yeah so um, thanks <laughs> thanks for listening and um please don't forget to subscribe if you want to reach out to us we're on linkedin uptime punks official or you can just subscribe on spotify on apple podcast and we wish you a merry christmas and a happy new year thank you bye